Hey, welcome to another episode of Film Streak. My name is Rob, and every week here on Film Streak, I'm going to recap the last several days of movies that I've been watching. And on every one of those days, I'm watching something new. And so maybe it's not a new release, although we've got a couple here, um, but it's going to be something that's new to me. So maybe it's something I've been meaning to catch up with for a long time. It's just been on my list and never got around to it. Well, I'm doing that now. Um, could even be some more obscure stuff or just random things that kind of get recommended to you. And, you know, if you're ever curious about that kind of stuff when it shows up and maybe you're just uh, not into it at the moment, well, hey, I might have covered some of that here. Might have actually watched one of those and talked about it. So uh, check out some previous episodes if you want. Um, you can go to filmstreak.com. You can find them there. You can subscribe and uh, maybe see something that you've seen or have not seen. In any case, let's pick up where we left off last week. Uh, let's pick up on the streak with a film that I'm pretty sure everybody has seen at this point, right? I'm talking about number 79, on film streak, The Batman. Now, this is a film that, uh, when it was announced, I guess a couple years ago now, or, or sometime after, uh, I think it was after Justice League or somewhere around there, I wasn't really sure that I needed this film. I, I was in any way interested in another Batman origin story or, or something like that. I just felt like the, the character got really explored and um, even a little bit overdone, uh, oversaturated with all of the Christian Bale, um, that trilogy that uh, Christopher Nolan really explored the ways that it can be brought to the real world this character of Batman and all the fantastical elements of it and all that. I, I really thought that was, so, that was just done so well. The bar was really set pretty high that I didn't know if I needed to hear or see more of that. And so, uh, when this was announced, I wasn't really, wasn't really interested. And even after Ben Affleck took the character, I thought, well, that's a different take on it, but also didn't really have an urgent need to, to, to see more of that either. So uh, this was one that I didn't go into with a lot of expectations. Let's just say that. And yet when the first trailer dropped and then some of the imagery started to come together of what this film was going to look like and the tone of it. Um, wow. I mean, it really changed, I think my expectations, but also, uh, my point of view on superhero movies in general. And, I, and I'll tell you, tell you what I mean by that. Watching this movie, uh, you know, this is a film that on its surface and on paper probably reads like any other superhero film. And in the sense that it's got a character who is going above and beyond and doing things that ordinary people can't do. And yet, so much of it feels like it's, I mean, this film borrows a lot from other types of films, uh, other crime dramas and thrillers and mysteries, uh, whether it's related to like serial killers or uh, the criminal underworld and organized crime. There's so many other elements that are pulled into this that I guess are part of the Batman 
mythos and the the, the I guess the mythology, um, but it's done in such a dark and, and and oppressing and gritty way that I think the the way it comes across is not like a Batman film. And put it this way: so I'm watching this film, and there's so much of it that is just hitting right for me. It's 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 got the right tone. It's got the right weight to it. Um, even the performances, they're they're dialed in just right. They're not so grim and so uh, just cold that it's hard to find anything to hook into. But it's also not over the top and it's not, um, you know, it's not a cartoon in any way. And yet watching this film, I felt like this could be just a great mystery detective thriller if this guy just wasn't wearing a Batman suit. And I guess that is the only vestige left of this being a comic book movie. Because otherwise, it's just about a guy who's really intent on solving these crimes and this criminal, this villain, who is very good at planning and executing them. And so then, you know, then the the parallels come in really clear about how much this feels like a movie like seven uh, or even something like Zodiac or silence of the lambs a little bit where there's someone who's in, intent on solving a case. And yet they're exploring some of the deepest, darkest corners of the human psyche and you know, the, the worst things that people can do. And so I really thought this was a great exploration of that. And yet at the same time, it's also a Batman movie. And, you know, I don't, that, that's where I say, like, it, it really changed my perspective because I, I think watching any other superhero movie now at this point might just seem like a cartoon, no matter how dark or, or sinister the vibe is. You know, like I look at something like, um, like you look at the trailer for maybe um, what's the next one? Like Morbius that's coming out, which is supposed to have kind of a darker, uh, I guess, elements of like horror and stuff. And even something like Venom, which takes a really kind of a, a different angle on like the anti-hero approach. Those all seem kind of silly now. And so yeah, well, the way I look at it is this does change the direction. It doesn't necessarily set a new bar because I think the bar is already so high. I mean, we had a Batman film that could have been nominated for Best Picture at one point. And, you know, I don't know how that would shake out for this, but let's just say that um, if this kind of continues, because I'm sure there will be another film, then this will show uh, a progression in that space, I guess, for this kind of movie, which uh, I didn't really think was possible. I didn't really think would be the way this would go. So, you know, when you, when you look at that on that level, just in terms of what this means for superhero movies, or at least Batman movies, this is a pretty significant step, I think. And like, if I had to rank it, if I had to like put it in a list somewhere of all the Batman movies, this is probably up there. I don't think it's the top for me. I mean, it has a couple of issues. Uh, one, you know, it is very long. It's about three hours long. And I feel like 
there is maybe 20 or 30 minutes that I, I would have liked to maybe not have to worry about, like just not have in the movie, but I couldn't pick where those 20 or 30 minutes would come from. You know, there's, there's a lot that is all intricately, uh, uh, the, the plot, the characters, everything is so intricately laid out and you can't really remove one thing or one scene, for instance, because they all really do tie together so well. It does hold together as a piece. And so it's it's really hard to say where the flaws are in terms of like, you know, how to get a running time down. But it's probably more in terms of some of the character beats and some of the story elements. You know, I, I think if there were anything that would be maybe my first candidate is like, hey, we, do we really need this part of the film? Although you you really do need it. But if we didn't, if we couldn't have it in the film, it would probably be the whole thing like at the end of the movie where Riddler's big plan goes into effect with the flooding the city and, uh, you know, trying to assassinate the mayor and, and all this stuff in the stadium at, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I just feel like that is so, so beyond now. Like the, the, the Riddler worked for me as a villain who was very much in his own head and maybe had these grand plans in his own head and yet could only do what one man could do, which can be a lot. But the idea that he had all these other uh, followers or, you know, these Riddler uh, copycats or wannabes or whatever, that were going to do all this stuff on his behalf, that just didn't feel like what I thought the Riddler was as a person. So I, I feel like that was maybe a stretch too far. Although I guess I understand why it's needed because it's also part of the result of it is part of what completes or at least progresses Batman's arc in the story from not just being just a brutal, you know, vengeful uh, crusader against criminals. Right. But he's also got to be someone who sees that there's got to be more to him than that. And that means he's got to actually save some people. And so that's where that comes into play. So it's like, you can't even cut that because it's still part of his story and it is Batman's story. It's not like other Batman movies where it's more about the villains. It's the villain story. You know, you, you look at the 89 Batman, it's really the Joker's origin and arc in that film. Um, even, you know, some of the other films where you've got like a uh, dark Knight rises with Bane, a lot of it revolves around him and how he comes into play and how he takes action. And Batman's just responding. You know, I, that's the only thing I knock on the Christopher Nolan trilogy is that Batman in those movies was kind of the least interesting character. And Bruce Wayne for sure was the boringest character, but still the, the approach there was so realistic, not necessarily dark and gritty, but at least realistic. It felt like it took place in a city, you know, with people that, you know, live in the same world that we do here. It really is taken down like a notch, like several notches, like under everything we understand as reality. And so I, I, I like that approach. I think it's very carefully done and, and well-crafted, but, um, it is a little bit of a, uh, it, it does kind of, it feels ambitious and it maybe bites off a little bit more than it can chew. But ultimately, I think it's still really pulled off 
really well. I would say count this as one of the better ones, or at least I do at so uh, at this point. So let's uh, let's consider that one a recommendation for sure. Because you know, if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably going to see it because it is like one of the biggest movies of the year so far. But wow, this was this was really a lot more than I expected, and and I'm glad that it it went well and, and it was pulled off well because Batman has its own history of being good or bad or really good or really bad. And here I think we're on, we're on that spectrum. We're on that side of it where it's between good and really good. That's the way I look at it. So, all right. Recommendation for me. That's number 79. That's the Batman. All right, let's move on. Now here's a a film that uh, this is number 80. This is American animals. And this is a film that uh, I I wanted to see a while back, and partly because the premise is just intriguing to me, but also it's not only based on a true story, it's partially the true story. So so let me explain what I mean by that. So this, American Animals, uh, is directed by Bart Layton, which, you know, props to him for pulling off something really interesting with this film. Uh, it, it stars Barry Kilgan, which is... Uh, well, if you saw the Batman, you know this guy's about to blow up. Aside from that, uh, you've got Evan Peters uh, next to him, plays one of his friends that uh, is really more the one that drives things forward. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So these two guys, one of them plays a, a young college student. Uh, I think it's like 2003. And he is an artist. He's uh, kind of, it, it, the way this is, depicted he's just kind of bored and and a little bit aimless and really not interested in school and him and his friend who was a little bit more of a of a wild card and has the same kind of uh um a lack of interest and and just really disengaged with school but they decide or they, or they just get in their head that you know what would it be like to to rob somebody to steal this famous book of, of Audubon uh, artwork of sketches and paintings um, that uh, is, uh, is basically being kept secure at a, at a library in the school on school campus. So he, um, <laughs> he works up this plan and it really all starts with two guys just screwing around, just like, well, what would happen if we did this or that? Wouldn't that be weird? Or wouldn't that be cool or exciting or whatever? And these two guys start to actually hatch a plan and start to figure out how it could be done and and what would happen if they tried it. And it starts to starts to snowball from there. So they bring in another guy because they need extra hands and they bring in another guy because they need a driver, like a getaway driver. They really start to build this as like a real heist. And even to the point where the film itself references, like it shows them watching, I think it's the killing, but they're watching that. Uh, there's references to reservoir dogs where they give each other name, color, Mr. Pink, Mr. Green colors. Um, they also play the music to, uh, a little less conversation for, which is probably to my memory, most notably used in Ocean's Eleven. And so there's these little subtle things where they're referencing not like real heists or real robberies, but what a college student might know, which would be something out of movies or pop culture. 
And so it's already kind of a, a incorrect look at what this means to enter this kind of world of crime. And so and I think it speaks to, though, where these guys were, the real guys. And also, the really cool thing is the real guys are in the film. And so there are portions of it where it's half documentary and half narrative. And the real guys are speaking on camera. Their families are on camera. Some of the, the people that are involved in some of this, some of these incidents are on camera. And yet we're also flipping between that and the actual story being retold with these actors. And in some cases, they're in the scenes with the actors, which I don't know who had the, the idea to do that or how that was all made possible because these people, these guys really were, uh, well, without spoiling the film, I guess, but they did end up getting caught and they did end up going to prison and they served their time. And this was done, you know, this was in 2003, 2004. So obviously this film was made much later after they were able to continue their lives in society and be a part of this film. But just the fact that that was all done in coordination with the real people, including some of the victims, I, I, I just thought that was a really unique take on what this, I guess, genre of heist movies, even though this isn't really a heist movie, they try, they don't quite succeed. But the idea is that it gives these people, the real guys, it gives them a chance to not necessarily explain themselves, but to to re-examine their motivations and why they decided to do this and what they maybe learned from the whole experience. And when they have to sit on camera and really go into why they decided to do something like this and what happened to them emotionally and, and even in terms of you know being incarcerated and all that, it, it, it really changed a lot, but they learned that there's a line here. And when you cross this line, you enter the, into this world of crime, even though it wasn't like uh, such a, you know, monumental heist, still the fact that they were, they were at a point where they thought they could do something like this. And you see them even confront this as they try, like they, their first attempt, they, they just kill it because they can't, I, they don't have the they don't have the guts to do it. They just get scared off so fast that they just abort and they try it again another day. And when you when you even see the ways that they try to avoid getting caught and protect themselves and all that stuff, and then it just all falls apart anyway because they didn't really think it through because they're not criminals. You understand, like it's not easy to to fall into this life. But once you do, there's there's really no way out of it, and and you can never undo it. And so, I I really like the the way this was all told and put together. It's it's I feel like it's really smartly done, and so this is definitely a recommendation for me. This is American Animals. Uh, again, check this one out. I, it's available on several streaming services now. Um, I think it's on Hulu and uh, maybe Amazon Prime. So check that one out. I I can't recommend this one enough. I mean, it's it's a small independent film, 
but it's got some really inventive ways of telling this story that give you more of a glimpse instead of just like watching a bunch of actors reenact the events as they happen. You actually have the people that were involved there as a part of it. And it adds a certain credibility, adds a certain weight to the story that it's not fun. Like this, this, this doesn't glorify any of the things they did in any way. Instead, it's more of a cautionary tale about what happens when you decide to take that step and how you can't undo it. So a recommendation for me, check that one out. That's American Animals. All right, let's keep this moving. Uh, number 81 is our next one here. And this is called The Wave. And this is from 2019. And this one is really interesting because, look, uh, I'll just say this. The, the, the basic premise of it is uh, there's a, a young lawyer. He gets um, a big case and he goes out to celebrate with his friend. And he ends up getting into some uh, heavy drug situation and his whole night, day, week, whatever, life after that is forever changed. Like his perceptions of reality and time and all of that is just completely reset. And, you know, I this stars Justin Long and I like Justin Long. And for some reason, he feels like he's still like... 27 or something. I don't know why. I'm, I think he's probably closer to my age. But the thing I like is that he can ride that line between being very youthful and and kind of up and then also being kind of somber and or even uh, uh, what's the word where someone who is on their heels, who, who doesn't know what's happening and, and can get flustered. And so, and this, he really plays a lot of that, but I tell you the, the main thing with this, this film really kind of knocked my socks off is that it goes there. Once, once you get an idea of who these people are in their situation and what they're going to do, they're going to celebrate and they're going out. Okay. we got all that. Okay. So even, you know, there's a situation about money is tight and his wife's kind of like, Hey, what are, how are we going to pay these bills? Whatever. They got debts and, and all that. Once he takes this step, he goes to this, it's like a party or something at some house. And <laughs> he runs into this weird, mysterious kind of, I guess, I don't know, just some guy. And he takes some drug. He doesn't even know what it is. It's not, I don't think it's even, said the name of the the name of it in the film so it's obviously some made-up thing but the way it's depicted like the way he is experiencing things afterwards whether it's uh the the sort of visual um i guess the rendition the the way things are are shown like on camera yeah i could see that it's really trippy and you even get to the point where he goes to meet with other lawyers in, in his firm and like his boss and some other people in like a conference room. And that whole scene just goes, it turns into a circus and he doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know what's going on. And yet the way it's played, it's such a mind. It's, it's such a trip really like just visually like the, the characters 
start, their faces start changing, the, the, the lighting changes, they start acting so absurd. It's like the weirdest trip, but it's also, it feels on screen, like I guess what it would feel like. I mean, it just looks insane. Also, on top of that, he's jumping back and forth in time. Like, and, and <laughs> this is one place where it gets a little wonky, where like, I'm not sure how this all holds together, where it's something to do with clocks and he's able to, on command, jump back and forth in time. I don't know how that works. I, that's definitely some kind of new drug, I guess. But the idea is that overall you get the sense that he can't hold on to his experiences. Like he's having these odd hallucinations or he's like losing time or finding, like remembering something that happened, even though it's, it's in the film, it's told that he jumped forward in time, but I think it's more, he's just remembering something different. And it, it honestly, it gets a little confusing towards the end. Because I'm not even sure everything that's happening and and which order it's happening in, but I think that goes to the point of the film, is it's trying to depict that. It's trying to give you that sensation of not being in control and not even being aware of where you are or when you are, and yet you can still you can still understand what's happening in front of you. Whatever you have, like your context is all screwed up. I guess that's the idea. And it feels like that. And so ultimately it's, it's one of those films that you really just have to see it to understand like what I'm trying to say here. And, and even I think what the filmmakers are trying to say, but if you do and you get what it's trying to, what it's trying to show you, then I think it might be kind of entertaining. It's probably also going to be confusing too. Uh, but look, I, I would just say if you happen to see it now, this is not the wave, the film, which is, I think it's, is it Norwegian? It's some film that, um, came out much earlier, I think like 2015. And it's about like this tidal wave that hits like a, a part of, I think it's Norway somewhere in, you know, Europe somewhere, like Scandinavian country. I don't remember. It's a really good film, though. Don't don't get me wrong. It's a really good film, The Wave, about the uh, tidal wave thing. This one is something else. This is not that. This is like more like like riding the wave. Okay, so think of it that way. All right. So that's number eighty one. Like I said, maybe a recommendation depends on what you're into. I guess. Uh, all right. So let's move on. This is number eighty two. This is MFA. And for someone like me, or, you know, if you're in the creative field or whatever, you know, MFA means Master of Fine Arts. This film is uh, very loosely related to that, let's just say. Um, but still, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, this is uh, directed by Natalia Leite, or Leite. And um, this stars Francesca Eastwood, which I... Can't think of anything I'd seen her in before, but of my understanding, this is, I think of, I think I'm right, the daughter of Clint Eastwood and Francis Fisher. And I, and I say that because it seems like it makes sense, but also she looks like them, like there's a there's an uncanny resemblance in there. Either way, that aside, 
this is a it's actually a really interesting and and it's powerful in certain ways and yet in others it feels like it goes it it zigs when i thought it was going to go in a different direction you know it it's about a young art student her name is noel she's um you know she's she's doing what she can but she's not really feeling it she's just kind of a a, a little bit she with when it comes to her art and her approach to her art she's kind of pulling punches and that's established early on there's like an art critique that happens in classes where everybody evaluates each other's work and it's all kind of laid out that like her art's not very interesting and it doesn't really have anything to say and at some point she ends up going to a party and ends up getting raped and it's it's actually a, a it's a really sobering moment in the movie, which, uh, I mean, it's even hard to watch. And the fact that, and, and just because of the way it's, it's played and it's, and it's filmed, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, it, I don't know, for me, I guess it just hit a certain way. And like, I don't like, I don't like seek these things out in films, but whenever you have a scene like this, you, I think to me, it feels like this can be played a certain way or it can be played like it's played here where it's really, uh, it, it just kills any kind of, you know, other expectations you might've had. Like, no, this is what is happening. And I think the scene after that, as this character kind of tries to make sense of it, and and recover from it in a way and it i don't know it just really hit me in a way that i i don't know that it really has before in other films you know because usually i think this happens when you see this depicted in films it's usually because there's like a i don't know some kind of like a criminal element or you know it's like where everybody's a scumbag. And so this kind of thing happens when you're around, uh, you know, those types of elements or those types of situations or whatever. And here it's like, no, nobody, I mean, people are here just going to school. They're trying to get their education on. And, and yet, you know, and look, so this is even a thing that was brought up in another film that I really enjoyed and, and appreciated which was promising young woman because that is about a, a young woman who is still dealing with something that happened to a friend in the past. And here we're seeing it, I guess, as it would have happened. And so here, the, this young woman, her name is Noelle. She one tries to, to report it, to talk about it. And it just gets shut down and it gets kind of like, you know, killed. It's like, that's not, that's not going to help anything. You know, she, every door is closed to her. And so she takes action on her own and she tries to confront this guy some days later and she ends up killing him partially by accident, but also there's like a struggle. There's a fight and dude ends up dying and Hey, sorry guy, you deserved it. But her takeaway is that if she can do this, maybe there are other people out there that also deserve this. And so she then goes on this uh, spree 
if you will, of finding other victims and finding their attackers, their rapists, and killing them. And that's where, you know, hey, I, <laughs> I, I get that this is, uh, this is now taking the narrative license, but that really goes maybe a step in a direction I wasn't expecting. Like, I really thought it was going to be about this person's, you know, dealing with what happened to her and finding a way to heal and maybe using art as a, as a way to do that. Well, this, this is a little different. This, she kind of turns into a little bit of a serial killer. And, um, I'm not saying it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, it's, it's still somewhat intriguing how she pulls some of this off, but it does feel a little bit more of like genre stuff now. Like this is, it's almost like, um, very, very light, like I spit on your grave territory, that kind of thing. Which wasn't what I was expecting. wasn't what I was ready for, especially given uh, the whole setup at the beginning of the film. It, it doesn't feel like that kind of film. But uh, I, I don't know. I I tell you what. The one thing I did like about this film was Francesca Eastwood or French. Yeah, I I just thought that she really holds this character together, and and gives her that arc. You know, you really see all the different parts of what someone who might go through this kind of thing is going to have to deal with. And from the anger to the frustration to the, you know, the, the grief and the, the just the, the horror of something like this having happened. So that for me was the big takeaway. It's like, Oh, okay. I want to see what she's going to do next. Cause this is really, I mean, she's just magnetic to watch, go through all this stuff. Um, so that was my takeaway. So look, uh, that's number 82. That's MFA. Maybe check that out. I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you've gone to art school, you might see a couple of things in here that ring true or, or seem, you know, familiar, but there are also some things here that don't really feel correct, but I, you know, I don't know. Um, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but either way, look, watch it for the, the lead performance here. It's, it's actually pretty interesting, I think. All right, so let's keep this moving. We're going to get to the next two pretty quick because uh, I can tell you I wasn't a big fan of. But all right, number 83, this is Nocturne. And this is from 2021. And this is starring Sydney Sweeney. And this is an Amazon, Amazon original. Um, th- actually, this is kind of a similar premise. It's a young girl who's in in a music school and she's entering into a competition, but she also has a twin sister there who is also entering into this competition and they're both talented musicians. They're, uh, they play a piano. And so they're, you know, they're trying to edge their way in to get into the big solo of the performance and, and, you know, be the star of the moment. And yet, um, one seems to have more hustle than the other, but, uh, and Sydney Sweeney is the, the younger sister and, you know, it's said like the less talented maybe, but, uh, she finds this interesting like book, notebook that has a bunch of drawings and some, some, I don't know, it, it, it gets into like supernatural territory. 
this is not what I thought it was going to be. Like, I didn't know this was going to be all part of it. But ultimately, this book and, and some of the history of a, of a girl who killed herself at the same school, um, it starts to find its way to her. And she ends up making this kind of like a it's almost like a, a deal with the devil or, or something to get her spot, get her time to shine. And, you know, regardless of whatever her sister does. And so. It, it all starts to devolve into this, I don't know, cliche genre territory, um, I feel like. I mean, I just feel like I'd seen some of this in other movies. And yeah, I even think, like, I like Sidney Sweeney and, and a couple of things I've seen her in. Um, but here, she really takes a different turn in terms of being just very... Uh, normal and and even kind of a meek uh, character and who is unsure of herself and 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 that's the point of it but um in the moments where she has to find that strength and has to find that you know that part of her that can take command and and change her her fate let's say by doing this performance and all that it just doesn't really land to me and and ultimately, I think um, so much of the film relies on that. Like, she's kind of the main star of the film. There are a couple of the people in it, but I, nobody else I really recognize. So I'm just going mainly on what she drives with with her character uh, to make this interesting. And I think um, if we're talking about any kind of dynamic like performance, there's not a lot here. And ultimately, the, the the way the film ends, I think, even speaks to that. And I don't want to say what happens, but it, it does show that this character doesn't really. Uh, how can I say what? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Too bad. Spoiler warning. OK, I'm coming. I'm saying it. This character doesn't have what it takes to be the best. And while that's a big theme in the story is like, you know, what will your ambition push you to? What links will you go to to be exceptional or be the best of, of the best or to put anyone else behind you? You know what I mean? Like it, it it's trying to say those kinds of things, like ask those questions. But this character doesn't have it, even though she thinks she does. And I think that ultimately it just doesn't. It doesn't work like the math just doesn't have you can't do the calculus on this and make it work, or at least I can't. Like I don't get it. So, you know, it's kind of a pass for me. I mean, I thought this might be an interesting turn to see this, you know, actor doing something different than I guess I'd seen in some others, like Euphoria or some of these other uh independent films. But this for what is different there, there's not enough to like bring it home, I think. So, look, that's Nocturne. That's number 83. Uh, again, that's a pass. All right, so the next one here, it's kind of the same thing in terms of uh, my recommendation or not. I'll just tell you right now, number 84, this is Voyagers. This is also a pass. And the main reason why, it's not necessarily any of the performances. It's not even the direction and the, you know, the, the quality of the production. It's more just the premise and maybe the story as it plays out. But 
you know, the, the basic premise of this is there's a mission to find another planet because Earth has become inhospitable, yada, yada. You heard it before. The scientists or whatever, they raise these kids uh, as a group of 30 kids, I think, to basically take this travel, take this trip to explore and look for another world to live on. And with the idea that, okay, these 30 kids, they're going to have kids during the trip and those kids will have kids and those kids will be the ones to land on a new planet because the trip takes so long. Okay. It takes a hundred years, I guess. But <laughs> the fact that they have 30 children trained to do this, raised to do this, they have no parents. They're like born in, you know, uh, they're test tube babies or whatever. The fact that they stay, they start this trip as I think teenagers, young teenagers, and there's one adult on board to handle them. I don't understand the 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 logic there because if we all know teenagers, one adult don't mean shit, right? Who's going to handle that? So the fact that they send one adult. Who also, if something happens to him, because, hey, spoiler alert, something does happen to him. What are all these teenagers going to do by themselves now? So there's so much like fundamentally that doesn't make sense, like how this kind of a thing would ever get like like greenlit to happen. Like if this were like a real thing that NASA or whatever the government had to do, it's not happening this way. I can tell you that much. But also it's like, Say nothing happened and, and these kids grew up to be adults. There's still like, what's any, there's no guarantee that three generations down, this is all still going to make sense. What if <laughs> these 30 kids all grow up to be adults and they all decide they don't want to continue this trip? Hey, then what? What are we doing now? I, I guess Earth is just dead, right? So, uh, there's so much with the premise I kept seeing faults with the whole time. And yet the film doesn't really acknowledge that. You know, what it starts to devolve into is like uh, two different sides. You know, the kids kind of split into groups. And one of them is led by Zach, who is the younger, not younger, but more rebellious kind of uh He's the edgy one in the group, right? And he's saying, we don't have to do this and we don't have to do that. And we can do whatever we want. Whereas Christopher is the more uh, principled and more thoughtful guy who's trying to keep everything together and keep everybody, you know, in line and keep the mission going. And so it becomes this almost like a, I don't know, Lord of the Flies in space or whatever. And, you know, you, you can kind of guess from there where it's going to end now, right? Okay. Whereas I thought it was really going to go into what happens if all of these kids decide they don't want to do this anymore, or if they grow up and they decide they want to change the mission or they, or they can't have kids or, you know, let's throw another wrinkle into this. Why would we just let this go into something we've already seen before? So that's where I just feel like the whole premise of this just doesn't work. And it's not the acting. It's not the the direction. It's it's just the story itself. So it was an interesting try, I guess, but uh, I, it's a pass for me. Too bad, Voyagers. Sorry. All right. So look, this is number 85. 
This is our last one for the week. And this is a, a film called Cherry. And this is written and directed by, well, I say written and directed by, is directed by for sure, Anthony Joe Russo. So, hey, if you're into Avengers, you're into Marvel, you know these guys do big stuff and they do it well. And they've also brought along their one of their big stars, Tom Holland, um, also known as Spidey Man. Um, here is an interesting film that I remember when it came out, it seemed like it was going to be one of those where Tom Holland's going to really stretch outside of Spider-Man. Like he just didn't want to be Peter Parker all day, which I get. So he's going to do this as a kind of the side project to all the Avengers stuff or whatever. And, um, this is an interesting one because it takes you on the journey with this young man from being a teenager and going into the military, becoming a soldier, coming back home and dealing with a lot of what happened when he was overseas. I think he was in Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, honestly, this movie is so long and there's so much story in it, which, hey, look, it can be good. But, you know, him being a soldier and coming home with... PTSD and all these troubles, that's like the first third of the movie. The The rest is still, he he resorts to using drugs and for, for pain and for, you know, all kinds of other things and eventually ends up on heroin. And because he's trying to be a functioning addict, him and his girlfriend or wife, they run out of money, things are getting tight. So... He also decides to become a criminal, become a bank robber. And how it's just this life that just starts starts off great, starts off in a good place and just devolves and devolves and devolves to the point where he ends up in prison. And, you know, I think that kind of a story can be interesting with so many layers to it and so much depth, right? Like just the, the passage of that much time. And I'm guessing... If I had to just roughly estimate, I mean, maybe we're talking about like 20, 30 years of someone's life. So that can be really interesting. The problem with this film, though, is not that it tries to tackle too much because it can be done. But that Tom Holland just isn't the right guy for this yet. You know, I feel like this film could work with him. But I think he's still a guy who is, or at least appears to be, so young and fresh-faced that it's really hard for him to pull these, or it's hard for me to see him in these like darker moments and really going to bad places. And and I think that's something that I don't know. I just feel like that didn't really pan out the way they were hoping. You know, when you get to the point where he ends up in prison and you see how much time has passed and, and they try to show it on his face, but it just kind of looks like Tom Holland in makeup. Uh, it, it doesn't, it, you know what? Maybe that's the other thing. Like, this is not a handsome guy's movie. It's just not. This is definitely a, a regular guy or even like an ugly guy's movie. I, I just, the fact that he looks like a movie star, no matter how they try to dress him up or down. Like he, he just, he just does. He's got the, the square jaw and the, you know, the, the 
superstar looks. And this is not a movie for that kind of a person. I mean, it's, it's really weird to see someone try to fit into a role that they're not necessarily built for. If that makes sense. I'm not saying he doesn't have the talent. Maybe he could do a movie. You know what? You know what? Actually, I thought about this. This could have been cool if they would have made this movie over the course of like 10 years. You know, if they would have shot like the parts where he's young or like a teenager or whatever, when they shot this and then almost like boyhood in a way, like shoot some more of this over the next 10 years. And so when we get to 10 years from, I don't know, now and they're shooting the last parts of this guy's story in this movie, you would see the age. And maybe even in the actor himself, in Tom Holland, he would have a different way to approach this. And you would feel that weight of time and of life on him, right? Here, it doesn't quite feel like that. It just feels like Peter Parker playing a bad guy versus actually watching a bad guy on screen. And that's a big difference, especially when you hang so much of a movie around this, you know? I mean, it's not like a, a movie like Forrest Gump where you're following a guy from being, you know, a, a, a kid or a teenager all through being an adult with children and all that, like, because that guy doesn't change. That's the interesting thing about a movie like that is Forrest Gump doesn't really have an arc. It's it's actually the reverse. It's like the world changes around him. Well, here it's like you got to have a guy that can pull off that much change in his life, in his appearance, in his, in the way he carries himself, all of that. And it just doesn't work, at least not yet. So, you know, for me, it's an it's definitely an ambitious attempt. And look, it is the Russo brothers, and there are some impressive moments, some sequences in the film which I really like appreciate. I like that level of craftsmanship. And like I said, the story has some, some really interesting parts to it. It's just the, the, the performance there isn't quite there yet. It's a good attempt, but anyway. All right. So that is our last one. That is cherry. And that is number 85. And look, Hey, that's another week on film streak. Huh, 85 films in a row. Oh man. It's fun. It can be a little exhausting, but some of these are really good. And so I'm, I'm enjoying doing this. And so I'm glad you're listening. Thanks for checking this out. Uh, if you want to find some other episodes, you can go to filmstreak.com. You can listen to those there. Um, you can also subscribe, find it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever the podcasts are. Podcasts. I said that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So look, in the meantime... I'm going to be out here watching more movies and you do the same. See you later.